In 2012, Mormon Discussion Podcast was started as a way to engage critically thinking current and former Latter-day Saints in the exploration of their faith. We have explored and continue to explore topics within social issues, deep dives within Mormon history, including historical documentation, the ever-changing world of Mormon doctrine, and the pervading deception and dishonesty within LDS leadership. Sit back and buckle your seatbelt as the host of Mormon Discussion, Bill Reel, takes you on the bumpy ride that is the rabbit hole of Mormonism, doing so with a rational mind that seeks to help others navigate this perplexing and often contradictory faith, one episode at a time. All right, here we are, another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm super excited uh, to be here with you today. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun for me. Um, I, I the, the reason this episode came up was, um, and by the way, I hope folks like the new intro. It is my voice at the beginning. I just thought that that would make it a little more interesting to have it be a different voice. So I changed it a little bit to make it deeper and kind of a little bit more of like a conspiracy voice. Um a few weeks ago, uh, RFM suggested that we do an episode on uh, Desnap, and we ended up doing that. But uh, in preparing for that, Radio Free Mormon was told uh, by some uh, intelligent, rational folks that he should stay as far away from covering that topic as possible because those folks are crazy, and uh, you never know when it's going to just be that that one person who goes too far and causes some harm to the folks of us who are shining a light on Mormonism and any of its unhealthy facets. And, and so he said like, you know, whatever, like, let's, let's continue, let's move forward. And I said, absolutely, let's do it. And it's, and some folks wonder that. I mean, I've had folks over the years say, uh, Bill, have you, have you ever been threatened? Have you ever had any uh, people really angry with you? And the, and the general answer the general answer is no. Um, the general answer is no, because in terms of the feedback that I've gotten, um, most of it has been exceptional. I, I would bet 98 to 99% of the feedback that I've gotten in the 10 years that I've been doing this have been positive. There might be a little minor disagreement on social media over something. But when you take out, say, Midnight Mormons, you take out a few fair... Uh, Mormon apologist, as well as a few other apologists that are out there. And you take out maybe three or four interactions over the, the last decade. And I'm going to tell you that essentially it's all been positive feedback um, outside of maybe a little bit of pushback, like I said, on social media that I think is going to be normal anytime you're sharing ideas and, and ideas are going to encounter pushback. That's that's normal. But there are a lot of things in Mormonism that um, certainly give me pause for thinking uh, in terms of like, is there any risk to me uh, or to my family? Uh, because what I would share, and I, I, I risk folks thinking I'm crazy to some degree in sharing this, but I hope that as this episode goes through, this is, by the way, this is a... Uh, I'm expounding a little more, but this is basically a Facebook post that I put out, uh, let's say a month ago or so, maybe a little less than that. And uh, we'll talk a little more in depth today. 
about these issues. Um, but that in spite of being, I, I think I'm extremely mentally stable. Uh, I don't suffer from depression. I, I've had a handful of sad days in my life. And honestly, outside of that, I wake up every day on the right side of the bed. I like my life. My life is good. I feel like I am able to move on from uh, sad or depressing things very quickly. I think I'm able to very much compartmentalize. It's been one of the human traits that I've carried that uh, has helped me a ton throughout my life, but the ability to compartmentalize so that if something bad happens at home, say an argument with my wife, I'm, I'm able to go to work. Uh, I'm able to carry out other functions of my day without that disagreement uh, impacting my mood generally. I find that I am fairly, uh, I fairly easily am able to stay happy and content with life. But in spite of that, uh, in, spite of, in spite of being what I think is extremely mentally stable and getting almost entirely positive feedback, uh, I want my audience to be aware that sometimes intrusive thoughts show up in my mind that I am in some sort of danger or at risk. And I'll say the reasons behind that I think are understandable once you understand the list of things. Uh, for example, the fact that I spend my life's work now, my life's work for 10 years, really. I mean, I've worked this secular job at the pawn shop. And before that, I was working for a floor covering store back in Ohio. But I spent the majority of my day inside my head thinking about Mormonism and how to shine a light on its history, its problems, uh, its deception, and its uh, the trauma that it hands out to people who don't fit in the box. I've been I've been thinking about that as my daily uh, work for ten years. And you can go back and I started the podcast back in two thousand and twelve. I think September. And, you know, we're on, you know, the high 300 episodes at this point. And I think there are episodes in that work that have been um, instrumental in helping people to process Mormonism, to understand its deception. And if one wants to think about Mormonism um, in, in, in its all its reality from the 20,000 foot view, I think we've put enough material out there in Mormon discussion podcast alone that's not to mention bringing on other folks like Radio Free Mormon, um, Emancipate Your Mind with Terry Hales, who talks about religious trauma, RFM and I joining up on Mormonism Live, which I think has been just fantastic. I'm really proud of the content that this channel puts out. And uh, I've spent 10 years going after an entity that has unlimited money. Uh, and there's no doubt that folks like John DeLynn, myself, Lindsey Hansen Park, Ryan McKnight, you know, tons of other folks in this space, by the way, that we've caused in and of ourselves and collectively, we've caused significant financial loss to a multi-billion dollar company. And then when you consider that that company has had Danites, which were groups of Latter-day Saints who carried out the uh, coercion of folks in, in Mormon areas in, uh, in Nauvoo and in Utah. We know that 
again, according to the LDS gospel topic essay that uh, Joseph, the church acknowledges that Joseph Smith certainly was aware of them, maybe not to the fullest extent they would like to claim, but he certainly organized and was aware of their activities. And uh, that, that the Danites were a small group of Latter-day Saints who were able to apply really unhealthy pressure with the threat of violence and carried out violence on those in town who had any, who were any sort of threat to the church and its leaders. You had the Whistling Whittlers, which were a small group of bandits of Latter-day Saints, source, sort of loosely connected to the Danites. The church tried to allege that these were just kids. The reality is these were grown men with buoy knives and uh, who also used uh, rhetoric of uh, violent rhetoric and uh, pressure of violence being carried out in order to get people to leave town or to silence those who were uh, to some extent critical of the church. The church has blood atonement in its early history um, with Brigham Young and with a few that followed, Wilford Woodruff, Heber C. Kimball. And so it taught this idea that you had that, that folks who had done the church some deep injustice or had done some deep moral thing that they had to suffer for their own sins, and it was to be carried out by the shedding of blood, someone shedding their blood. And so you've got blood atonement in its history, taught by one of its early prophets, seers, and revelators. You've got a ton of followers in any group that is uh, that claims to be the one and true group. And you can find those anywhere. You can find those in political regimes like Nazism. You can find those in tons of religious, high-end fundamentalist religious organizations, such as Islamic terrorist. Um, but what you end up with is followers. I mean, look at Heaven's Gate, for instance, and what those folks did to themselves. You end up with followers who are overzealous. And that, that degree of being zealous can lead to members, believers of any group or entity or path in taking matters into their own hands. You combine that with teachings in the church of loyalty and proving one's faith. You combine that with sacred stories of bags of arms and chopped off heads to prove one's faithfulness. Uh, for instance, uh, Nephi chopping off uh, Laban's head, and uh, was it Mosiah or Alma that was chopping off the arms? And another, another thing that's happened too, by the way, and I chuckle a little bit, is I get so far removed from Mormonism because it's not part of my my daily walk anymore. It's not part of my daily life. I'm not constantly being reminded of the stories in the scriptures, for instance, that there are things I've stored away in my head that I thought I never would have forgotten. That as I read new books and think about new ideas and listen to new voices, I slowly find that some of this Mormonism kind of goes off by the side. Things that aren't crucial to these conversations. Namely, which specific individual is it in the Book of Mormon who went and chopped off the arms? Um, those kinds of things just slowly start to disappear when your life focuses on other matters being more important. 
But the Book of Mormon has those stories, bags of arms, chopped off heads to prove one's faithfulness. And then you combine it with the Old Testament and Abrahamic test. You combine that with secret organizations like the Strengthening Church Members Committee, um, which I'm going to play a little bit here. The Strengthening Church Members Committee, the SCMC, is a group of Latter-day Saints at church headquarters who scour over all of social media trying to uh, find any critical voices of the church and make a hard record of what those voices are saying. And so Wendy Montgomery, one of the mama dragons uh, was informed that there was a file on her. I think she even got a chance to maybe see it or something, but there's a file kept on everyone. And when my excommunication or disciplinary court took place, my stake president was handed over a file of, of the things that I had said and published in order to justify his carrying out of a disciplinary court. This committee isn't tiny, and the work that they do isn't small, but it seems so strange that certain leaders inside the church um, don't know how to be honest about this organization. And we'll talk more about it, but I do want to share a little clip here of, uh, of Elder Holland, and uh, we'll put that up on the screen here. Let me... I want to find out more about the mysterious Strengthening Church Members Committee. Off to the church to meet its chief spokesman and the mastermind behind the I Am A Mormon campaign, Michael Purdy. What's the Strengthening Church Members Committee and does it still exist? Uh, I don't know and I'm not, I guess that's a question not for me. I, I, I couldn't tell you that. I don't know. You're the head of... This is the, the head of public relations, Michael Purdy. Surely he knows who the Strengthening Church Members Committee is. And you can tell by his demeanor that he's uncomfortable. Like, oh, you caught me. Um, he doesn't want to tell the truth about the committee. Now, why would you not want to tell the truth about an innocent group? because what they do isn't innocent. And he wants to be steer clear of saying more than he is told to say by those above him. Media relations for the church. Right. And I've spoken to people, um, ex-members of the church, who say um, the Strengthening Church Members Committee does exist. Does it still exist? I, I, I've heard that, yeah, there is a Strengthening Church Members Committee, but I couldn't tell you the details of Notice how he obfuscates. Notice how he wants to avoid talking about it. Notice how he, she's checking his words every moment. He doesn't want to be lying, but he also isn't really allowed to tell the truth. And you can see that so clearly in his body language and his demeanor in the words that he almost says and then catches himself and then says something else how that works, but we'd be happy to provide someone that can. Sorry for my confusion. When I originally asked you, you, you weren't sure. Now you, you do know that it exists, um, and you will give me somebody who knows something about it. Absolutely. So on the Strengthening Church Members Committee, the spokesman for the Mormon Church couldn't give me a satisfactory answer. Maybe the apostle could. So now he's going to ask an apostle, one of the top 15 leaders in the LDS Church, Surely, Elder Holland knows about a committee inside the church, and he knows what they do, 
how they work because folks have been drawing attention to the unhealthiness of this committee forever, for years and years and years. And uh, here's Elder Holland seeming to not exactly know what this committee does, but he kind of knows, but not exactly knows. He's happy to tell you a little bit, and then he has to apologize because he doesn't know enough to tell you anything. What is the Strengthening Church Members Committee? The Strengthening the Church Members Committee was born some years ago to protect predatory practices of polygamists. I asked what, what, what is it? Well, that, that's what it is. It is to protect... So it does against, still exist? It's, it does still exist. It does still exist. And it looks at, uh, it, it's there to defend the church against polygamists? Principally. That is still the principal task. And uh, what is its subsidiary task? Uh, I suppose just to be protective generally, just to watch and care for uh, any, uh, any insidious influence. But for all intents and purposes, all that I know about it is primarily to guard against polygamy. That would be the substantial, essential part of their work. I'm not on that committee, so I can't speak. He's not on that committee, so he can't speak. But he has enough information until he's pushed and asked about what its subsidiary tasks are, and suddenly he doesn't really want to say much more. Um, but it is a committee that exists to uh, accumulate records on its critics, both those inside and outside the church, and it and it documents all the things that those folks say so that folks like me, years ago, I was aware that this committee almost certainly is tracking the things I say and do and publish. And if I want to be inside the church, I'm going to have to articulate my perspective uh, in a certain way because sooner or later, I'm going to say something in in my trying to share in an honest, truthful way the messiness of Mormonism. I am going to uh, eventually suffer at the hands of local leadership in a disciplinary court, which happened because this committee tracks everything you do and say, and it doesn't matter whether what you say is true or not. It, it doesn't matter. In my disciplinary court, the transcripts online, the audio is online, although the audio is not that great. My stake president says, you know, you're in trouble for calling Elder Holland a liar. And I said, well, he did lie. And he goes, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, because you're not allowed to criticize leaders of the church, even if the criticism is true. So you have the Strengthening Church Members Committee. Now you combine that with hard evidence that the church has employees who create fake profiles and infiltrate the social media groups and online discussion boards by pretending to be believing members. And I'll just note a couple of examples. Uh, Mormon Stories. I forget uh, what the gentleman's name was, but Mormon Stories interviewed uh, an individual who uh, shared his experience working in the church and that he created fake profiles. Mostly he would pose himself as a female. He would then infiltrate these social media groups uh, under a female profile name and picture, and then he would record everything that was being said and done in these groups and who said them and who did them and would send that into church headquarters. And he's not the only one. There was another story uh, maybe six or seven years ago where um, 
there was an individual in a bunch of uh, liberal Mormon groups where critical thinking skills were being used and folks were saying things that were not exactly the way the church would like people to be saying things. And um, somebody in one of those groups ended up in a disciplinary court. And their stake president or bishop did not uh, redact or obscure the source of the notes that they had gotten from the church. And the church somehow missed redacting a piece or part of it. So that this bishop or stake president had on his file of on this member who had said something he shouldn't have said, there was, uh, it showed like a Facebook post in the group but it had the avatar and the name of the person who had screenshotted the uh, the thing being said. And that never got redacted. And it was a person by the name of Pasco Wellington. And because that screenshot got delivered by the church to the bishop or stake president, we know that this was somebody inside the church. And so as soon as it was discovered, the, the member in the conversation with their leader, saw the file, took a picture with their phone of the document, I believe, uh, but we do know for sure that that's what, to some extent, what happened. He had a record of the document showing that this Pasco Wellington was the person who did the screenshot. And when this group, when the admins of this group announced that there was a person in this group by the name of Pasco Wellington, who was working for the church, posing as a doubter, collecting evidence against members who had said critical things. It was then discovered that Pasco Wellington was the member of like 13 other um, liberal progressive Mormon groups. And Pasco Wellington immediately, the profile got deleted, discontinued, canceled out. The whoever Pasco Wellington was, they had uh, removed their Facebook account um, and so Pasco Wellington was no more within within an hour of of the news getting out. And folks can verify that. I think Lindsay Hansen Park maybe said something in regards to this. I think there's folks out there who uh, will be aware of this story, but I remember that name. And one of the things I'm really good at generally is when I want to remember something, my memory is pretty dang good. Uh, Pasco Wellington. Isn't that right, Dave Schmidt? who, by the way, is a fake profile that, that Kwaku created, a, a white young male profile that Kwaku, an African-American, created in order to be able to say things that he didn't want to get caught saying as Kwaku. So you have uh, this hard evidence that the church creates fake profiles with its employees to infiltrate social media groups and online discussion boards pretending to be believing members. Combine that with apologist uh, arm of the church, Fair Mormon, that lies and deceives as much as they do in their formal responses trying to protect the church. I just I kept thinking of this. Let me go through this list again. Danites, whistling whittlers, blood atonement, overzealous followers, Teachings of loyalty and proving one's faith. Sacred stories of bags of arms and chopped off heads to prove one's faithfulness. Abrahamic test. And the story of Abraham and how that story is used 
the Strengthening Church Members Committee, and who knows if there's any other secret organizations, but we we know at least of that one. Then we've got the church um, carrying out the act of uh, creating fake profiles on social media and infiltrating social media groups, and then combined with Fair Mormon and the amount of lies and deception that they have. It It's no wonder why folks in this space, again, John Boleyn, Radio Free Mormon, Lindsay Hansen Park, um, Ryan McKnight, uh, Jeremy Runnels. There, there's no wonder that folks in this space could possibly struggle with feeling there's some sort of risk, right? There's so many, and I'm sure I haven't named them all, by the way. In the YouTube comments, if you would put any other facet of Mormonism which you think creates, could could potentially create fear in someone like me that the church is going to, either the church or one of its believers are going to do something crazy. And I'm sure I haven't thought of all of them. But as I was writing the post on Facebook, I kept thinking like, yeah, there's blood atonement. Yeah, there's the SCMC. Yeah, there's fake profiles. It, it just, it's a list of like 10 long. And it is a little scary when you think about, I belong, I belonged to a high demand fundamentalist religion. And I really don't mind the word cult. I belonged to a cult that has a deep history of violence and a modern uh, inability to be accountable to that so that it can distance itself from it. And it has a modern moment of spying and using veiled threats and using deception and dishonesty to catch its critics in the act of being critical. So much so that while I don't suffer any intrusive thoughts anywhere else in my life, I really think I'm, again, mentally stable, don't have any sort of um, irrational behavior uh, in my life. That I sometimes wonder if my car is being followed. If Mormon spies have infiltrated my circle of friends and acquaintances. If I could be poisoned or die in a freak accident. I don't dwell on them because while they do have some merit, the list I just read, and a few more things I'm going to tell you. The, the idea that the church would go to that length still seems irrational to me. That's in spite of the following I'm about to say, as well as the list I gave you. So the following, number one, I was severely threatened by the son of the head of the Strengthening Church Members Committee, when I exposed his father as being in its leadership, that was uh, Shane Bowen, a member of the top three of the Strengthening Church Members Committee. It was released on a document and redacted, but not redacted thoroughly. So we at Mormon Discussion Incorporated exposed who those three were. And I got a message on Facebook Messenger from Shane Bowen's son, Trevor Shane Bowen, who said that... Uh, he would he would get me if my if any harm came to my dad and then his next comment was and i am vicious so i ended up calling the police and filing uh, a charge of some whatever the appropriate charge was for some sort of threat and i believe they went to his house and knocked on his door and talked to him about it 
So again, the SCMC. I uh, I spoke with, there's a listener to this podcast and this listener works within the uh, intelligence community. And uh, me and another person, so me and uh, an acquaintance of mine, we went to visit this listener. And this listener shared with us uh, information that the LDS church has tried in unethical and deceptive ways to have folks that it employs get into uh, the actual physical space of of folks um, to pose as trustworthy and to not be. So it's essentially this idea of Pasco Wellington taken one degree further so that rather than uh, show up in a social media group, that they would actually show up in real time, in real space, allegedly. Again, maybe something like moving into your ward um, and building a relationship with you and you thinking they're just a member of your ward, but they're really there to to get close to you and to um, capture information on you. And again, once you understand that the church has already done a deeply dishonest thing in creating fake profiles that have to pass questions to get into these groups. Do, are you going to share the information in this group? No, no, you have to say, right. Are you a spy for the church? Like there are questions in these groups that ask people these things because the folks in these groups deeply fear this stuff. Um, if the church were to try to come after me for saying this, by the way, if the church, if the church thinks I'm lying, the church is welcome to sue me. And then we will have to go to court with these witnesses and they will have to have people within their organization answer for this. And I don't think they would want to do that. I don't think they would want any of this stuff to be talked about out loud. So, um, to simply note that the church has folks create fake profiles who answer the questionnaires in order to enter a group. And the questionnaires are designed to force you to either lie or not be allowed into the group. If in fact you did work for the church and you were in fact trying to collect information and to share it with church headquarters, to have it be used as evidence against people who say critical things. So there's that. I'm also aware of very serious ways in which the top 15 have compromised themselves ethically. Some stories I've shared publicly and others I haven't. Uh, for instance, in Mormonism Live, we did an episode on Thomas Monson Jr. and how he was able to move from being fired at one law firm to being hired at Curtin and McConkie. We talked about Quentin Cook and his land deal in California, I believe it was near San Francisco where uh, he acted unethically and such is demonstrable. RFM did a beautiful job of showing that Quentin Cook was unethical and that it was deeply shown by the evidence that that was the case. And because Quentin Cook was a lawyer, he 
he had made certain obligations, certain promises um, in order to be an ethical lawyer that he had violated. And uh, you can still read those articles online about that incident. Um, and there were others in that episode as well. And, and there are stories that I hold because the folks who came to me were the were members of their ward or their children's ward, um, were leaders in their ward or their children's ward. And they brought to, to and I'm not the only one who heard these stories. Um, there are other folks close to me who heard these same communications to the point where um, it becomes very clear that these men had acted unethically again stories that i i know that i've not shared of yet allegedly I'll, and i'll keep saying that but these folks were able to demonstrate to a, a certain degree the um a confidence in their character and in the truth of what they were saying and when you start to look across the top 15 men and either their propensity to embellish and lie and tell decept dis stories inaccurately, deeply inaccurately, uh, President Nelson in the flight of death, Elder Holland in, there's too many stories. I know there's at least five or six. Um, Elder Ballard and Elder Oak saying they've never hidden anything when such can be shown to such an extent that they couldn't not know that they're hiding things. Uh, and, and then you combine it with uh, ethical behaviors in terms of either employment like Quentin Cook or uh, ethical, unethical things such as making sure your kid gets employment again, even though he was allegedly sexually harassing to a significant degree another lawyer that he had worked with. Talk about Thomas Monson Jr., allegedly. Um, but the facts are out there and the, the data is out there and folks are welcome to go and back to that episode. We made, uh, we made references in each of the source notes. Um, in fact, I can tell you which one it is Mormonism live. I know it was backroom deals. Episode number 36, hostile takeovers, bailouts, and other backroom deals. And so in that episode, we list each of the instances we talked about. We share the source data, the evidence for each, so that you can research it yourself. These, these acts show that these men are not only anything but prophets, but that they are deeply unethical human beings who stop at no cost to preserve their image and who have a lot at stake to lose personally if the thing collapses. Number four, I've had uh, some mentally unstable believers reach out to condemn me. Uh, not much though, two to three times. And I've had weird or scary people who seemingly have a strong, who have strong negative feelings about me. I, I had one person write me early on and they, they sounded friendly and they, they seemed genuine, but everything they said was irrational. And they, they wanted to take me on some trip and we'd sing songs in the desert. It's just when I had my friends read the email I'd gotten from this person, they all thought it was extremely strange. And then you combine that with there's a YouTube channel out there where uh, if you know the, the company Jib Jab, 
there's this company jib jab, which allows you to superimpose, uh, to impose the face of you or people you care about or love or people you have pictures of onto like little elf characters who dance around the screen. It's a lot of times you'll see these videos around Christmas time, but there was, um, there's a, a gentleman on YouTube and his channel is called against anti-Mormons two, nine, five, one. And he creates jib jab videos of, uh, folks like me, Lindsay Hansen Park, John DeLynn, Radio Free Mormon. And it seems so insane and crazy. Like it, if you watch one of these, you're like, man, who in the hell has time to create multiple videos that get, you know, 40 views? You can just tell that there's some degree of mental instability in a human being who will spend a lot of time and energy creating something that absurd and stupid for which no one wants to look at or view. So why, why not dwell on the risk that someone in my position feels like they're at? And, and I don't know, it, it almost seems reasonable, doesn't it? After all the things that I've shared with you today, things that I know and that I'm aware of, right? But I don't, I don't have, I don't think about it much. It'll happen once every, whatever, once every few months or so, maybe once every six weeks. I'll spend just a minute or two in my head thinking like, wow, there is reason to be fearful. There is reason why this intrusive thought just came into my mind. And I'll entertain the thought for a moment. And, and by entertaining, I mean, I'll just go through my head and think about like, okay, let me think about, is there anybody close to me in my life who um, seems insincere? And, and there are, there are folks that are that way. And I, tend to not give all of myself to them. I tend to hold back unless I have a deep level of trust uh, with folks. Um, I spend a lot of time meeting new people, meeting strangers, and um, giving them a sort of trust. Like, hey, come to my house, come hang out at a party, sit in my hot tub, we'll, we'll sh you know, shoot the shit through the, the evening. Um. But I'm also cautious and careful. I'm also cautious and careful. And uh, essentially, I go in my head and I think, is any of this reasonable? You know, like being followed, whatever. I don't. I just don't think that's real. Somebody infiltrating my life, maybe. But again, I, I'm. I play. I play pretty cautious until I, until I have a high level of trust in you. And. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll let my brain kind of think about those things for a moment, examine if there's any merit there, but I just don't see strong evidence. Sorry about that, folks. Let me turn off my phone for a moment um, and, and sit and think if there's any merit to it. And then I, I deem I don't see strong evidence of such happening in my life personally, and I'm, I'm a bit of a justice warrior to the point where I don't like seeing the vulnerable manipulated and taken advantage of. And I'm willing, like, I'm one of those human beings, again, I don't mean this in any arrogant way. I'm one of those human beings who's willing to kind of put himself on the line a little bit. And um, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I'm, I'm sort of a justice warrior, if you know what the Enneagram is. And because of my wanting to stand up for people who don't have a voice, I, I just for 10 years take a hit every now and then. 
um, you know, allegations from fair Mormon allegations from midnight Mormons allegations of, uh, allegations of practicing priestcraft or other things that, you know, some of these folks say without really wanting to apply that same logic to the group they come from or to the role their entity plays or to the, the standing that they have with the church. And my dad's family always said, and they didn't say it as responsibly as this, but my dad's family always said that we are all one individualized major trauma away from losing some degree of touch with reality. And also I've got years of researching uh, cognitive development, human development, understanding those processes. Um, they all have me grasping with a lot of awareness, how fragile almost all of us are. And, uh, and I realize that for many folks, you know, for many folks out there, there are folks who suffer deeply from intrusive thoughts. Um, life is fragile. And when you think about some of the horrible things that happen to people, especially when they're young, and you recognize some of the unhealthy mechanisms, some of the defense mechanisms they have, some of the shadows that they've got, all because of the shit that happened to them when they were young, and for that matter, older. And uh, I don't have that. Even though it's super reasonable that I could be overwhelmed by such intrusive thoughts on a regular basis, I'm not. And for that, I'm, I give the universe thanks. And uh, I express sorrow to those of you who struggle. Um, because if I was someone who was overwhelmed by this sort of stuff, I certainly have enough reason to, to feel some sort of fear because of the unhealthiness and the violence and the deception that I've laid out today's episode that this entity has not just in its past, though it does, but also in its modern moment. And so I finish this episode simply saying to be kind to others, be kind to human beings, and, and recognize that, yeah, there are some bad people out there. I'm not saying be kind to every single human. Some people are not worthy of you um, giving them safe space in your vulnerability, right? But most humans are good people. So be kind to humans generally and sit with just how corrupt, powerful people and powerful entities are. And uh, I, I, I reached out, you know, RFM and I had this conversation a little bit, but I reached out to another well-known voice in this space, and I won't say who, but another well-known voice in this space. And I said, hey, this is going to, I hope I don't sound crazy, but I, I, I'm guessing you think the same ideas. And I posed to them some of the things I listed, being followed in a car, someone infiltrating your life, being poisoned, um, you know, dying from some freak accident. And they said, Bill, I think the same thoughts. 
and uh, I'm I'm guessing that anybody who spent enough time in this space exposing the unhealthiness and dishonesty of Mormonism publicly experiences at least a little bit of that too. And so when when you see folks like Lindsay Hansen Park or Jeremy Runnels or John DeLynn or Radio Free Mormon and the thousand of others who do similar sorts of work, might you at least recognize that they do put themselves at the forefront, taking on an unhealthy organization that more than almost all organizations has used and continues to use threats of violence, deception, manipulation, spying, and all sorts of other unhealthy uh, approaches and behaviors that you should express some degree of gratitude. And I, I numerous times have reached out, for instance, to John DeLynn and said, thank you. Recognize that there are folks who put themselves on the front lines of this uh, ideological battle. And that there are real reasons for those folks to have some fear. And yet they still get up every day and figure out how to shine a light on this thing one more time in order to create content, to have voices be out there that are discoverable, that help people uh, lean into learning about the problematic nature and messiness of this high demand fundamentalist religion. And uh, it's, it comes a little easy to me, mainly because I'm a convert. I don't have any real family ties. My wife and my kids left with me. So I don't, I don't have that. I don't have generations of Mormons, you know, at a family reunion or in my, at Thanksgiving, at the Thanksgiving table. Um, but not all the voices in this space are so privileged and they really do put themselves at risk to be a voice for a healthier Mormonism and for a more widely shared table of information that allows believers to realize probably for the first time, right? At some point you realize for the first time that your church wasn't being honest with you and that it wasn't, it wasn't, it was not only uh, not true. It was, it was not only not true, but was also not good. And my two cents is forget me, but reach out to some other voice in this space. Reach out to John DeLynn or Radio Free Mormon or uh, Anthony Miller, Lindsay Hansen Park, Claudia Bushman. Um, there are numerous voices out there. Reach out to one of them and just give them a thanks and let them know that you appreciate all that they do to bring, uh, to bring in and shine a light on, on Mormonism. And uh, with that, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for watching this episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. You can support the podcast by utilizing the donate feature to the right of this video if you are viewing it on YouTube or by visiting mormondiscussionpodcast.org and clicking the donate button. 
Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, or share your favorite episode with friends and family. Such helps us to increase awareness around these issues within Mormonism and to help the next generation of truth seekers.